back with episode 8 of A Youthful Take. I am Sam Greenberg. And I am Jack Stauffer. We have a very, very special episode today. We have a great interview. It's pretty long, so we're going to do a very quick news section. We're going to provide context on something and then talk about um, Senator Bob Menendez. Jack, talk about Senator Bob Menendez. So, Senator Bob Menendez was this past week indicted on bribery charges, he and his wife. Democrat from New Jersey. Yes, senator from New Jersey. Um, They found $500,000 worth of cash in dollars and also gold bars stashed. Jeez, gold bars? Gold bars. What's up with bro? Um, Yeah, and he's had calls to be resigned yet to act on those. I think he he said he -hmm. did not want to resign. Yeah, he's not Um, resigning. He's not going to resign. So it's kind of... Interesting to see what's how this is gonna play out. Mm-hmm. What's your take? What's your take? My take is I think his his butt should resign. Yeah, that kind of ruins because his, uh... this is his second indictment. Um, oh really? In the past ten years, I believe. Oh really? A couple of years ago, he was indicted, but he beat the case, and I don't think he can beat. Kind this of tarnishes one. his name. I don't think people are gonna take him seriously if he has uh, stashing gold bars. Yeah. Like yeah, that's weird. Anyway. If Democrats are calling for him to resign. He should resign, but yeah, he might not. Want to talk right. about the government shutdown? So, pre- quickly, because we discussed this in length, in lengthy detail in yeah. the interview. So, just for context, right now, um, there is a spending bill for the government that's that trying to get through Congress, Senate, and the House. And there is a group of Republicans in the, in the House of Representatives who um, are shutting it down. They're saying, we're not doing anything. We're not going to pass this bill. And it is le- leading to a potential government shutdown. If Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the House and the House representatives, Freedom Caucus, now, and the Freedom the Republican Freedom Caucus do not pass the bill, and we're going to discuss that in the interview, but that is just some context for yeah, a possible government so shutdown. If you don't really know what was going on, so you can keep up with the interview. Yes, and we have a very, um, very, very exciting interview right now. Best, biggest thing we've done yet. Yeah. So enjoy one of the best interviews yet. Yeah. Um, quick news, but I'm sure you all will. Re- Appreciate Enjoy that. the interview. Thank you. We'll see you at the interview. Enjoy. All right. This is a very special episode. As today, Jack and I are here with active United States Congressman Dean Phillips. Mr. Phillips has been the congressman from Minnesota's 3rd District since 2019. The congressman is a Minnesota native born in St. Paul. Prior to being elected to the United States House of Representatives, he earned his undergraduate degree from Brown University, a master's in business from the University of Minnesota, and worked many years as a businessman. Congressman Phillips, welcome and thank you. Hey, Sam and Jack. Good to, good to be with you guys. All right, Congressman, usually we uh, we ask our guests a set of questions regarding you know youth and politics, but this morning we have the pleasure of interviewing you, so we're going to go off script due to some of the unprecedented times going uh-huh. on in Congress right now. Um, so, you ready? Boy, I think I'm as ready as I'm going to be. All right, here we go. I'm, 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 a, little, I'm a little nervous, though, with you guys. <laughs> All right, so first question, what's going on in the Republican caucus? Oh, man, I I don't have any idea, you guys. It's kind of (laughs) whacked, to be honest with you. You know, look, I let me start by telling you, though, that I'm I was recently recognized as the most bipartisan member of the whole Congress, both in the House, the Senate and all 50 governors. So 
very sincerely, I, I work really well with my Republican colleagues, most of them, because most of them are actually decent people. You would never know that because, of course, we have this angertainment industry that portrays, frankly, most of us uh, as devils and um, dividers. With that said, you know what's happening in the GOP is, is really disconcerting. Uh, as you might remember, we Democrats had only a four-seat majority uh, over the past two years before uh, this 118th Congress, uh, and we were able to unify, uh, particularly because we had a really remarkable leader, Nancy Pelosi, uh, who is, uh, I know, a divisive figure uh, to many, but uh, one of the most extraordinary executors of power that I've ever uh, seen in my entire life. Uh, and the way she set the standard, the tone, the way she engaged uh, members of our caucus uh, was really effective. Uh, the Republicans right now uh, lack that kind of leadership. It's just clear. Uh, Kevin McCarthy had an opportunity, I think, in the very beginning to kind of set the tone, uh, but he's been hijacked uh, by a handful of really destructive people uh, that unfortunately are casting uh, a big shadow on the GOP, but more importantly, on the country. And that's what I care about most. So uh, if you look at the 220 or so members of the Republican conference, you know, about 200 of them are finding all of this completely nonsensical and absurd. There are about 20 of them uh, or so that are causing all this problem, uh, which means that essentially 410 or 415 members of Congress out of the 435 want to just get this behind us. But Kevin McCarthy's in a really tough position because he either works with Democrats right now, which means he'll probably face what we call a motion to vacate, meaning he'll be removed, or at least there'll be an attempt to remove him from his seat. Mm -hmm. Or he continues down this path of being held hostage by 10, 20 people uh, who are on the far right, who are keeping us from getting things done. So it's not an enviable position, but this is frankly where leadership really matters. Mm -hmm. All right. Second, uh, what do you, what would be your solution to avoid a government shutdown in the coming days? So I'm part of a, a really cool caucus called the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. We're 32 Democrats, 32 Republicans that hang out together, uh, have dinner together, get to know each other, uh, work together. And we have a proposition. Uh, we just voted on a, a solution to avoid the shutdown, which is 64 of us, remind you, 64 of us work together to get this done. Uh, and it's a really thoughtful solution. Uh, we've made it public. We've shared it with both Speaker McCarthy and Leader Jeffries. So we have a solution. This all comes down to one person right now, Kevin McCarthy. If he wants to put this on the floor, we'd be done right away. We would fund the government, uh, uh, provide some time to actually what we write our appropriations bills, which are the 12 bills that actually fund our government. But most importantly, there is a solution. I'm not sure that most of the country knows that right now because all that is projected on TV screens is the discord and the lack of progress. So you can Google it. It's on our Problem Solvers Caucus website. It's a framework to uh, uh, to get through this. The problem is, again, the speaker has to be able, has to want to put it on the floor for a vote. Mm -hmm. And he has the power. He has the power to either prevent that uh, or demand that. And if he does the latter, we'll get through it. But I don't see that happening soon. Politics. Yeah. Politics over principle. That's what I say all the time. It's just all politics over principle. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So we did just kind of talk about what could happen to Speaker McCarthy. You laid out kind of two solutions in the yeah. first question. Well, um, let me answer. Let me let me answer that a little bit more though, because yeah. this is really interesting, actually. So Speaker McCarthy, um, he had to change the House rules because of pressure to allow for one person to uh, issue this call to vacate 
the chair, essentially, for him to be removed. So one person can initiate that, uh, but it takes 218 votes to actually make it happen. Okay, so it you can imagine that puts him in a really interesting position. If his, you know, he would probably need a handful of Democrats mm -hmm. to protect him because there are more than a handful of Republicans that would probably want to remove him. So that puts him in an interesting position. He can either just cede it and lose, and then we face days, weeks, or even months of not having a Speaker of the House because we cannot do any business yeah. until we elect a new Speaker. Now, on the other hand, he could actually choose to work with Democrats by negotiating with us. Uh, we could negotiate some concessions on bills that are important to us to bring to the floor, uh, to change some of the rules of how the House operates, uh, to enhance the minority party right now, the Democratic Party's um, opportunities in this Congress. There are some ways that we could uh, negotiate some uh, some concessions, if you will, that would, in return, some of us would vote to keep him in his chair. So that's the irony of both these conversations, is that Speaker McCarthy needs Democrats to either avoid the shutdown, and he would need Democrats to avoid being removed from the chair. So it's an interesting dynamic. And my hope is that he actually does need us, and we do it, because then we can show the country that Democrats and Republicans, when push comes to shove, hmm. can actually get stuff done and work together. Yeah. So yeah. he's at a crossroads, basically. He's at a real, real tough crossroads. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Now that we have covered the uh, problems in Congress, spending and the government shutdown, uh, we're going to move back into our more standard questions. So to begin, both Jack and I, we mentioned this earlier, but both Jack and I are interested in pursuing a career in politics later on. Um, so we were wondering when slash what uh, was your initial interest in politics? And building on that, what was the congressional election process like? Yeah, cool. Uh, well, I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you what I think you guys should be thinking about. And then I'll tell you what running for Congress was like. Starting with my story, uh, I didn't know anything about politics uh, uh, when I was really young. And when I was about 11 years old, I go to elementary school one day. And at our school assembly, uh, there's a man speaking who's running for president. His name was John Anderson. He was a congressman. Republican congressman who had decided to run as an independent in the 1980 election. And he spoke to us. It was the first time I remember seeing a politician. That night I went to dinner with my grandparents and told them about it. They asked me if I was a Democrat or a Republican. And I said, I didn't even know what those were. I was 11 years old. And I, I, my grandma told me, you're a Democrat. Mm -hmm. So I went home. But this is way before we had Google, you guys. I had to go home and look in an encyclopedia to find out what a Democrat was and a Republican. And that was the first time uh, I remember that year watching the 1980 election on TV. Of course, Ronald Reagan uh, won in a landslide. And that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. And uh, when I was in college, the same grandmother uh, who told me I was a Democrat uh, encouraged me to go seek an internship on Capitol Hill. So when I was in 1989, I was 20 years old. I worked for Senator Patrick Leahy for one summer and I loved it. It was a really, really cool experience. And I thought to myself, you know, I didn't think I would start my career in politics, but I thought if someday I had the opportunity and the country seemed to have the need, that I might consider it. So turn up the clock. Uh, I had supported campaigns, um, hosted fundraisers, never considered running. Uh, but my daughters, Daniela and Pia, were 16 and 18 in 2016. Daniela voted for the first time. And the morning after that election, uh, they were so upset. Uh, and so traumatized, frankly, about the future uh, that I promised them I would do something. And I decided right there that I was going to uh, pursue public office. And I'll tell you, the um, the act of running for Congress seems really intimidating. 
you got to raise a lot of money. You got to make a lot of, uh, you got to call on your friends to help and volunteers. But if you like business, which I came from the business world, Talenti Gelato and uh, Belvedere Vodka and other businesses, you know, what I've discovered is entrepreneurship is really fun. And political entrepreneurship is even more fun because you are the product. You know, you get to package yourself, you get to market yourself, promote yourself, and conduct yourself entirely uh, based on what you want to do. And that was really liberating. And we put together a really fun campaign. Uh, I bought a 1960 uh, old truck called the government repair truck. I bought it from that year, by the way, because it was the last time a Democrat had won in my district wow. uh, almost 60 years ago. Uh, I, I came up with a slogan that's everyone's invited because I came from a district that had elected Republicans uh, for years. Uh, the man I was running against had won by 14 points in 2016. And I knew that if I was going to win, I can't just pander and speak to Democrats. You got to invite people you know, to conversation. So I drove my truck around, served lemonade and coffee and listened to people. And it was really fun, much more fun than I could have possibly imagined. And I'd lived in my city for years and I was discovering people and neighborhoods, uh, and communities that I never knew existed. And it was one of the most fun experiences of my life. And uh, we built a great organization, a great community, and we ended up winning by 12 points. And then my third campaign, we just won by 20. So uh, now the difference, of course, is I'm, I was 50 years old or thereabouts and had a business career and it was pretty well known. But for you guys and anybody who's listening who wants to run for office someday, I would make this proposal. Go out and do what you love first. You know, if you want to be a scientist, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a ballerina, you know, I don't care, an astronaut, go do something, discover the world, have some life experience. And then at some point when the time is right, just like it was for me, then consider running for office. Because I think one of the problems in the country right now is that we have too many people that have made it their career from beginning all the way to the end. And look at Joe Biden. President Biden is a good example of someone who has been doing this his entire life. And the beauty of our system is that we bring together people from different places, different races, religions, politics, life experiences, all these things, professions. And that's what makes the Congress work. And we are really devoid of this diversity. First of all, let's talk about age. I mean, Maxwell Frost is the youngest member of Congress. He won it, I think, 25 or 26 years old. Great guy. Uh, we need more people like Maxwell. You know, we need more people in their 20s and 30s, not in not disproportionately, but we need more. You know, we need more people who are not lawyers. You know, it's great being a lawyer, but we need people with business experience, yeah. with with coding experience. You think anybody in Congress understands how to really address AI, right? Yeah. It's really tough. Even climate and climate policy and gun violence policy, we need young people that have different perspectives. Uh, back to President Biden. He was elected to the United States Senate when I was three years old. That's great. You know, three years old. I was a I was a baby, right? And he's a great man and a, a man of wisdom and competency and great experience. But when you've spent your entire, almost your entire adult life in this environment, it really makes it difficult to understand what most people in the country care about what they're facing, what their issues are. And I think that's one reason we have Trumpism right now, is that too many people have been doing this for too long uh, and have really lost touch with the people uh, who are really not as privileged as you guys or me, you know, that are in parts of this country where life is tough, where there are not that many opportunities. Uh, and they're angry and they're frustrated. And that's why I think anybody listening at some point, please participate. And I'll wrap it up with this. 
school board, city council, mayor, state house, right? U.S. Senate, Congress, one day president. There are so many things to run for. And if we don't do it, we're handing over the keys to people who increasingly, I think, are kind of dangerous. So we need you. But you don't have to start from the beginning. You can do it just like I did it uh, at age 49 or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of to piggyback off that point, why is it important for young people to get involved in politics? And what are some issues that young voters should care about in 2024? Well, the reason young people should get involved in politics is uh, in a democracy, it's a responsibility. It's not a mandate. You know, and that's maybe one of the blessings and curses. Nobody forces you to vote. Nobody punishes you if you don't read the paper or care about issues. But if you want to ensure that one day you can succeed, that your children and your grandchildren can succeed, you got to participate. So we need you. That's one. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter if you can vote yet. You know, you've got the power. You've got more power in your hands with one of these things, more power in your hands than just about any human being through world history ever had the ability to learn the ability to inspire, the ability to connect and build build community. And it's um, it's a powerful tool. And I think that young people don't recognize that you don't have to literally be in office or work on a campaign. You can make a difference by engaging people on social media and using the technology in your hand. That's one thing. Uh, the other is policy. I just mentioned AI, uh, FinTech, financial technology, uh, climate policy. Uh, there are so many issues that People who are too old doesn't mean they're not competent or not smart, just means they don't have the same perspective. And there's a big gulf, I think, between the age and backgrounds of people in Congress and the issues that people your age and slightly older are facing. So we A, we need you. B, you've got the power in your hands. And and C, you know, by definition, uh, in the United States Congress, it is supposed to be as diverse as possible, which just dictates that we have too few people. Uh, youthful people and too many people who are frankly a little bit too old. And that's why the the founders, you note, said you only got to be 25 to join the U.S. House, right? 25 years old, right? So you can start soon. And I think people forget about how powerful that would be if young people uh, gave it a chance. And lastly, yes, you got to raise a lot of money, sadly. That's usually the case right now. But young people, again, using your your, your social media talents on TikTok and Insta and, and Facebook and Twitter, you name it, can massively change the game and require less money and simply more organization and inspiration. That's a tool that you guys have available that a lot of older people just don't get. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on. One of, we already touched on this bipartisanship previously, but... We know that you're, one of your biggest beliefs in Congress is the importance of bipartisanship. Mm -hmm. uh, why do you feel this way? And what other Congress people do you notice that prioritize bipartisanship as well? Sure. Okay. Let me start by actually saying what I didn't answer is what should young people be caring about oh, today? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I don't think my job is to tell you guys what to care about. I think it's actually the opposite. My job is to listen to you guys yeah. uh, and people your age and not just uh, in the Los Angeles area, but in Kansas and Missouri you know, uh, Minnesota, my home state, and and spend more time listening to people your age rather than us telling you what you should think about. Now, with that said, uh, I think we have to think about uh, climate resiliency. You know, I, I, I'm i beyond criticizing people who don't think it's real. You know, if, if, if at this point you don't think it's real, you know, I, we, you got bigger problems, right? 
Yeah. Uh, it is real. You can have the debate about how much is you know, human contribution, how much we can actually do to mitigate it. But the fact is it's happening. We can anticipate the impact and we should be investing and preparing for it. And I think young people should be thinking about that if you're not already uh, a lot right now. You know, gun policy. You know, I don't talk about gun control. That's a tactic. I talk about gun violence prevention. That's the objective. Mm -hmm. I think young people should be part of the conversation that brings people together for that conversation rather than um, preaching uh, and controlling. Control does not work, especially with conservatives. You know, nobody wants to be controlled. You guys don't. I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think gun violence prevention is another area to be great contributors. Mm -hmm. You know, financial fiscal responsibility. You know, it's something you'll be learning about if you aren't already, whether it's just getting some allowance from your parents or saving from a job. You know, you know that you really should only spend what you what you have. Uh, and usually you should be saving more than you spend if you want to be smart. Our country is spending way more, way more every year uh, than we take in, which means we're going into debt further and further, which means our interest, what we call, uh, I mean, the interest, we, we call it debt service, but the interest we pay on that debt uh, is going to get close to a trillion dollars over the next few years, which means we just don't have much money left to invest in programs and uh, climate resilience and infrastructure and military, you name it. So these are things I would like to um, inspire young people to start giving some thought to uh, and encouraging those in Congress right now to pay more attention to. And with that said, maybe before this uh, podcast wraps up, you guys can share some ideas with me too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, now, your second question was uh, bipartisanship and some of the people I work with. Why is it important? Well, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to explain why you have to work with people who might see things differently, right? You know, yeah. we we live in a country that should be rewarding those differences, not demeaning them and diminishing them. Uh, my father used to say in business, if two people always agree, you only need one of them, right? The whole idea is you want to work and surround yourself with people who have different perspectives. And if you only congregate with like-minded people, A, it's boring. B, it's not very innovative, and C, in government, it can be destructive. So that's why I think we need to do it. It also needs to be intentional. It's really simple. You know, a lot of us come to places with reputations. It happens worse in high school than anywhere, probably, right? And, you know, there are bullies or people whose reputations make it hard for them to make friends or sometimes well-earned, sometimes not at all. Same is true in Congress. But until you actually sit with somebody and kind of get to know them, maybe understand why they are the way they are, what they've been through, you know, what their issues were in the past. You know, you can actually kind of find a human connection that becomes really valuable. And you can't work with people you don't trust and you can't trust people you don't know. Yeah. So that's why I just think it's so important before you do anything in your lives, in college, on teams, in communities, uh, in your professional careers, you got to get to know the people around you. And by the way, when you do, it's the most powerful asset you can possibly maintain is the power of relationships. Uh, and that's why I've been successful, you know, working with my Republican colleagues who trust me, who respect me. I learn conservative principles from them. They learn some progressive ones from me. And it's fun, you know, it's fun. That's probably the best way to encapsulate it all. But most importantly, you can't get things done in our system of governance if you're not willing to work with people across the aisle. And the first bill I had signed into law by President Trump Mm -hmm. was a product of me, the number one of the most bipartisan members of Congress, and Chip Roy, who's one of the instigators of this shutdown stuff, 
who is probably the 420th most bipartisan member of Congress and a very conservative Republican from Texas who used to be Ted Cruz's chief of staff. But Chip and I are buddies, right? We don't see things the same way. We have different backgrounds, don't agree on policy a lot, but we did on this bill, which was to fix the Paycheck Protection Program during COVID, which saved a lot of small businesses in the country. So only because I was his friend and he was mine, were we able to put together a bill that passed the House, the Senate, and was signed into law by President Trump. Other than bipartisanship, that kind of stuff would never, ever happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got about, let's say, 10 to 15 minutes left. Zoom cool. restrictions. Yeah. So we got, we got. Oh, yeah. Those nasty Zoom restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. You guys are fiscal. You guys are fiscally responsible. You don't pay for that, you know, extra, <laughs> like, unlimited time National boom, <laughs> it's not for us <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> so we're going to do one more question and then we're going to transition to the lightning round which we'll explain in a sec cool let's get this one question um so we know that you're pretty outspoken about seeking a democratic alternative for joe biden in 2024 mm -hmm. uh, why do you feel this way and who might be an alternative you think would be good well i feel this way because when i was in business we would do customer surveys, we would do market research, and you look at the numbers, you know, you look at your sales numbers, that's how you make decisions, mm -hmm. you know, the data. Uh, it's the same way you guys operate, it's the same way anybody should, uh, no matter what they're doing. And right now, the data says that President Biden is in at real risk of ruining his legacy by losing to Donald Trump in the next election. And uh, no matter who's listening to this podcast right now, you know, I respect you. Uh, I happen to find Donald Trump to be a really disagreeable, dangerous man and someone I do not want to see return to the White House. That's how I feel, uh, partly from my own personal experience with him, partly because I was in the House chamber on January 6th and uh, felt that my life might be coming to an end because of that man. So you can imagine how I feel about him. I will never do anything to make it easier for him to return to the White House. But I look at the numbers. Uh, they're really upsetting. You know, I think 72 percent. Uh, of the country finds the president to be either physically uh, or uh, mentally uh, ill-prepared for another four years. Uh, I think it's 83% of Democratic voters under 30 years old that want to see a different Democratic nominee for president. Independents are very displeased, and moderate Republicans who voted for Biden, uh, who don't like Trump, are increasingly indicating that they won't vote for Biden again. So that concerns me a lot. And we have a culture, though, in politics where uh, it protects the incumbent rather than looks at it with objectivity. Uh, and that's why I'm proposing that somebody uh, offer their name and run against him. Now, when I say run against him, there are two ways to run a campaign. You run against somebody by attacking them, pursuing them, demeaning them, challenging them. Or you can run for something, right? Running for something is what I think we should be doing in politics. Who are you? What do you care about? How do you propose to fix things? And why do you want the job, right? You don't have to attack people and be mean and undermine them and, and damage another person or ultimately the country. So that's why I've been encouraging that. Um, some have uh, been asking me to consider jumping into the primary. And I'm thinking about it because uh, I do believe it's really important that we have an alternative. Now, the president is uh, now almost 81 years old. He'll be 81 in November. He would be 86 by the end of his next term. Wow. He's a great man, competent. He's, he's had a great presidency. I think he saved the country. I voted for his policies. I helped market them uh, as a member of the Democratic leadership team uh, in the House. 
And I think he's a terrific human being, but people are speaking uh, about how they feel and they don't like either of these candidates is the truth. And I simply don't want to see a return of Donald Trump. So yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to encourage those whose names are better known and already have some national organization, but if they don't jump in, um, I might. Wow. We'll yeah. see. Wow. And not, not, not because, not because I think we need something aggressive to bring him down. We mm -hmm. simply need, I think democracy relies on choices. I'm pro-choice. You know, I think Americans should have choices. Women should have a right to do with their bodies the way they see fit. You know, people should have a choice to pursue a life of either law-abiding um, contributors to society uh, or not, and then suffer the consequences if it's not. And Americans who vote should have choices for candidates. And I think it's disingenuous and dangerous for Democrats to preclude the very choices that so many voters are demanding. So it's as simple as that. And I also want to look to the future and think that it's time that we turn the page on this era and this age and um, go forward with a little more optimism and fun and hopefulness, you know? Yeah, well, I completely agree. Um, before we jump to the lightning round, I wanted to mention one thing you asked about what issues matter to us most. And for me personally, I think climate, I completely mm -hmm. agree there. That's very important. And also I'm Jewish and I see a lot of anti-Semitism online. And so I feel like that has become an issue for me. And obviously not just combating anti-Semitism, all forms of racism and yep. religious intolerance. Because I know when I see anti-Semitism online it does not make me feel good. And I can't imagine mm -hmm. black and they saw terrible yep. things online. So just that in general. So climate and overall intolerance are probably the two biggest issues for me. Yeah. Boy, I couldn't agree more. How about you, Jack? Same. I'm, I'm Jewish. I, I, I feel like... Yes, our school does a very good job at we have a lot of these assemblies where we talk about anti-Semitism, but then mm -hmm. it's kind of tough because my old temple in preschool, there was a bomb threat because of Oh yeah. yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah. And it was vandalized a couple of times in the past couple of years. So it's um it's definitely tough when you see that stuff, but it also makes you it it kind of empowers me because it makes me feel like I, I need a sense of gives me a mission. Sense pride yeah. it purpose it gives me a purpose yeah, yeah. so good well i join you guys in that i'm i'm also jewish as you might know and uh i'm the ranking member meaning the democratic leader of the middle east subcommittee on foreign affairs meaning i'm in the middle east regularly i've been in israel twice uh, meeting with uh, prime minister netanyahu uh, we've talked about these issues uh we've talked about ways that israel uh, can actually help us reduce anti-semitism by addressing some of the problems that i think needs to be addressed and I would also encourage you guys to read a book that just came out about uh, one of my heroes, Hubert Humphrey, who was a former senator from Minnesota, former vice president, uh, who as a young guy uh, in his 20s was mayor of Minneapolis, then moved to the Senate. But he did a speech in 1948 at the Democratic National Convention where he implored the Democratic Party, which was terribly racist at that time, and Minneapolis, which was terribly racist and anti-Semitic. He begged the Democratic Party to get out of the shadow of states' rights and into the bright light of human rights, the bright sunshine of human rights. And that started in many ways the civil rights movement that has made such a difference in so many lives. But that was a time when the black community and the Jewish community really worked hand in hand uh, to reduce the attacks, to change the image, uh, to change the culture. And one thing we can all do together is to try to re-inspire that. We're all in this together. Yeah. Uh, any community that faces discrimination for any reason whatsoever. So I'm proud of you guys for elevating that and uh, share that uh, inspiration and, uh, and mission. 
Yeah. Great. Um, let's move to the last one. Right? All right. We got the lightning round here. It's oh, all right. I'm so ready. Breakdown. It's a series of let's, three what, quicker three questions. questions. We ask questions. pretty much all of our guests. It's just okay. personality, just to get to know you a little better. Mm -hmm. And um, first one is we are aware that you used to co-own an ice cream slash gelato business. Mentioned mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite flavor that you that your company made? Uh, pistachio. I loved pistachio. Yeah. Now, but that said, I think the way to compare any ice cream brand is try their vanilla because yeah. that's, that's your canvas. You know, if you'd get vanilla, right, you've got a good brand. If you can't get vanilla, right. I don't think you got much to hang your hat on, but yeah. pistachio, I think Talenti pistachio was my favorite. <laughs> that might be in the freezer. I right? have some Talenti in there. Oh, just happen to have some, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, moving on. What is your favorite restaurant in Washington, DC? My favorite restaurant in Washington, D.C. is one that I'm actually going to in about 30 minutes to pick up ramen and fried chicken from a place called Bantam King. Uh, it's one of my good friends here, Dice K, owns some great restaurants in town. It's a former Burger King that he bought that turned into the ramen shop and fried chicken oh. joint. So he calls it Bantam King. And my daughters are coming in for Yom Kippur on Monday and they love it. So we're picking it up and driving out to uh, our place in Virginia and uh, going to have some ramen and chicken from Bantam King. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's not it's not fancy, but man, it's good. Yeah. And when you guys when you guys come here, uh, we'll try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of um Cafe Milano. You know that's Oh, well, you're a fancy you're a fancy guy. I'm just kind of a schlep. I'm just I'm just a ramen and fried chicken schlepper. <laughs> <laughs> um, last lightning round question. How do you split your time between DC and Minnesota? So, uh, about I, about a third, I'll tell you what, I, my wife and I bought a place in Virginia. That's kind of our weekend place here. It's a peaceful getaway about an hour away. Mm -hmm. uh, so I spent about a third of my time in Washington, about a third of my time in Minnesota, and probably a third of the time at the end of the, by the, you know, if you look at a full year uh, at our retreat, uh, which is where I spend my weekends when we have back-to-back -back voting weeks. And what I've discovered is that this is a really consuming job. And uh, if you don't take care of yourself and your friends and your family, uh, make sure you invest in your relationships and um, and have a little bit of downtime. Uh, it's impossible to be good at anything. Yeah. And that's something you guys will face and anybody listening will face as you pursue your careers to make sure you take care of yourself too. And, um, you know, it's a tough world and jobs uh, demand a lot. And I'm um, trying to find a way to do it, uh, do it well and take care of the people important to me as well. So about a third, a third, a third. Because if you don't spend time listening to people at home, yeah. You cannot do this job well. You just can't do it. The whole point is to listen, come back here, and act on what you heard. Yeah. All right. That wraps up our questions. Yep. And so, I mean, great. We're gonna. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, like I said, anybody listening can put together a little group. Come out to Washington. I'll take you on a special yeah. behind-the-scenes tour of the Capitol and introduce you to some of your uh, your celebrity, your favorite celebrities in Congress, and um, and we'll go to Bantam King. So sounds like a deal to me. Looking forward to Sounds it. great. Thank you. All right, guys. Keep the faith. Thanks for the time. And uh, hoping to see you out here sometime soon in Congress, not just visiting. Of course. All right. Show. Thank you. Peace. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. I've been on quite the surge. It's four to three right now. It is four I'm to winning. three. Sam Greenberg's winning. All right. Can I go first because I won last yeah, week? Yeah, you can go first, Jack. All right. Sam Greenberg, can you tell me 
Can you give me one senator from Minnesota? She's pretty famous. She ran for president. Amy Klobuchar. Klobuchar. Ding, ding, ding. Is that how you say her last name? Klobuchar? It's Klobuchar. Klobuchar. Give me that. Give me that. Tap me up for that one. Uh, You're in. Jock. All right. Yes, Another sir. Minnesota-themed question. Here shout we go. Out, shout out, shout out Congressman, Congressman Dean Phillips. Phillips. Shout, shout out, out Zach, Zach Lipschitz. Lipschitz. Yep. Oh, we had the same. Hey. Hey. Uh, All right. Um, which group of people are known for immigrating to Minnesota? Like, which nationality? Which group? Which group of people? Yeah. Um, They're not that hard. I would Sounds so much harder than it is. Like, what's the term for the people that like, Where do they come from? I don't know. Canada? Where? You should know this, Jack. I don't know this. What are you? The Minnesota. I'm not giving this to you. Minnesota no. Vikings. Oh, what? They all come from Scandinavia. Oh. They all come from Sweden and Denmark. Oh, what? Oh, okay. It's in the name of the football team. Come right. on, boy. We'll bounce back here. Sam. Did I word that badly? I didn't think of it. No, I don't know. I, don't know. I just didn't get that right. right. Um, this, this might be a... Be a lob here. Right. Can you name me the two states to the right and left of Minnesota? That's a lob. It's a lob. Give me the state. To, to, the left, left, to, to the left. To the left, North Dakota. To the right. Wisconsin. That would be correct. Wisconsin. It's two lobs. That's right a there. lob. All right. If yeah. I get this wrong, it's over. Right? No. Yeah. No, because then I can get the next one wrong. No, because it's already 2 0. Oh, yeah. Don't get this wrong. <laughs> You're gonna get this no, wrong. Give me the capitals yeah. of all three Scandinavian countries. Nope, it's over. I just brought up Scandinavia. Yep, it's over. All right, Sam wins. This <laughs> Did you week. do one of them? Did you do any of them? Nope. Denmark. No. Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Sweden. All right. So Jack does not know those. Jack's not, not quite cultural. Oh, He's I'm European go- I- geography. All right, so I win. Sam wins. Wait, so oh, what is it? What is it? What's the score? It was 4-3. Th- now four, it's 5-3. Three. Three. So now officially Jack can no longer win this season. He can only tie. Oh. He can only tie. So we're going to bring right. in. We we're probably going to bring in a guest We're going to bring in a ringer. For Jack. For Jack. Because he can't win. This is, I can't lose on the Congressman Phillips episode. Congressman Congress, Phillips. Congressman, if you're listening right now, I'm, I apologize. Yeah. It's a letdown. Letting him down, man. Letting him down. Come on, you're going to know this Minnesota trivia. That's all right. Well, all that right. is all for episode eight of A Youthful Take. Great episode. Thank you, Congressman Phillips, once again. Thank you and to all of you who listened. This was, this was actually a pleasure. This was, was a, a great episode. awesome episode to do. Probably one of my favorites yeah. we Very ever enjoyable. will do or ever have, have done. A, ever have all done. right, signing out. Thank you. Jack Salford signing out. Sam Greenberg signing out. Peace.